This is Baba Tunde Fatai, the creator of XR Class Podcast and an XR software engineer with about five years of experience in the industry. I am naturally inquisitive about the emerging technologies and philosophical matters. Welcome to XR Class. XR Class Podcast focuses on exploring XR and metaverse technologies to better understand how these technologies are shaping the collective future of the human race. Episodes include conversations with enthusiasts, developers, designers, and leaders in the XR industry to better understand their unique and diverse point of view. With the advancement of extended reality technology and metaverse technology, the digital world is expanding at an alarming rate. Many industries are benefiting from XR technology because it produces more efficient processes, maximizes training, empowers brands to reach their customers in new and innovative ways, and allows individuals to collaborate in virtual settings. The buzz around XR and metaverse technology has steadily increased since the beginning of the 21st century, and so an even bigger swell when Facebook changed its name to Meta. But the application of this technology goes beyond allowing people to collaborate virtually or gaming. This episode of XR Atlas podcast focuses on the mind, how immersive technologies can be applied to improving human cognitive abilities, the sort of influence these technologies could have and have had on our individual and collective consciousness, the amazing research and work happening in this space, and why they are so important. I will be having a conversation with Amir, a co-founder and CEO at Virtualip a health and education VR startup that is taking cognitive assessment and training to the next level thanks to virtual reality and AI. Amir is also a researcher, game publisher, tech writer and an all-round student of the mind passionate about improving the brain with VR. I am indeed very excited to speak to him. Welcome on the show, Amir. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be on this podcast with you to discuss everything virtual reality and hopefully even outside of the realms of technology, what it relates to in terms of human perception and consciousness. Before we touch virtually and every other thing, can you give a bit of introduction about yourself? So those listening would orient themselves towards it. I come from a family, uh, originates from Iran. We relocated to Canada where I was raised from the age of four, uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, a very uh, rainy, cloudy, but but very green place to grow up. I uh, relocated to Dubai and spent about eight years there. After university, I started to have an itch about since 2014, 2015 to get into the virtual reality space. And I began to write from that point on, you know, coming from a background in market research, uh, tech writer, uh, games publisher, I began to cover the virtual reality space for tech blogs like VentureBeat and TechCrunch for about four years until I decided I understood the market well enough to take a dab myself. The only critical use case for virtual reality only has to do with two sectors. That is my opinion. It might be very biased, but I think when it comes to the healthcare industry and the education sector. And so virtually Mm. came from, from that background. What is your earliest memory of XR? When was the first time do you think you encountered VR, AR? Our first earliest memory you have? I have always been affected by certain types of phobias like claustrophobia and fear of heights. 
And particularly the fear of heights is an interesting one. And when I had been um, exposed to a very early concept of a virtual reality simulation where I could actually be on a very tall top area, um, and in fact, I was flying with wings, that was triggering my, my phobia of heights. And yet I was able to go from a moment of, of panic to with a little bit more exposure, I was able to uh, actually perceive my ability through VR to decrease and lessen my my panic, my phobia. I, I, in that moment, it kind of clicked for me that this technology can be used in a very effective way for transcending human limitations and and uh, uh, restrictions because of the way that it triggers and hijacks, in fact, the human full body. Multiple systems. Your first encounter really helped to deal with some phobias. Absolutely, and I realized at that moment that this was not a normal digital format. This was something that tricked multiple human systems that typically aren't engaged in screen-based formats. When we're, you know, using our smartphones, they're great because they're accessible. They're everyone has one. That's that's fantastic for all of you businessmen and businesswomen out there. But, you know, for someone who uh, is watching this space, sometimes from a non-commercial point of view and trying to think, how can I use technology in a way that actually helps me enhance my personal experience and expand my horizons, um, you know, beyond the restrictions that I might have inherited for whatever reasons from a family side of genetics and stuff, or from being conditioned in a culture where, I don't know, somehow I got these restrictions. That's where virtual reality kind of made sense for me. Was that when you figured that because this could help me, I could apply that and at least impact as many people as possible? Was that when, or you had to go through a journey? I think it was the journey of writing, uh, you know, dozens and dozens of articles for VentureBeat and TechCrunch, uh, you know, uh, interviewing various experts in the virtual reality space that were using the technology to be applicable for, let's say, games, fine. Uh, escapism, entertainment, great. But then when I started covering uh, particular creators that were applying it for therapy and for pain management and for treatment, uh, treatment of, um, well, exposure therapy for a uh, fear of spiders, I started writing more and more there. So I, you know, I, I began writing generally speaking across the sectors, and then I started honing in much, much more into where virtual reality did have a therapeutic uh, application or one which still is therapeutic, but it's more on the education side and on the training side. Um, you know, so it really was journey, I think. You co-founded Virtually. Can you give us a brief about how that began and what Virtually does? Sure. I even even launching virtually and what it became eventually was a journey in and of itself. And I think that that applies for a lot of uh, startups uh, out there. But you know, with respect to my journey, we began actually in 2015 to launch a WebXR hackathon platform that we were uh, partnered with. You know, organizations like Oculus. Well, now you know now they're calling themselves Meta. Um, uh, a lot of these different organizations like Mozilla that had different applications for VR. Um, and we were doing hackathons and we were having creators um, produce and develop content and design content across different themes and themes that we were interested in on the education and healthcare side, right? We were trying to crowdsource different ideas of what people were thinking were the best and easiest ways to do it, kind of selfishly from the point of view of using it as our own 
kind of incubator of ideas to figure out what we want to do as a startup altogether. And ultimately that led to about two years later, late 2017, us brewing up the, the initial idea of Virtually um, as a cognitive uh, VR solution uh, and, and launching the company officially in 2018. It's quite interesting that you were involved you, you organized hackathon in 2015 around WebXR because those right. were very, very early times. And it's awesome seeing that you were doing certain works around WebXR then. You, you could go back and see some of the articles I wrote around that time. I think I wrote at least eight or nine, you know, uh, just on WebXR, on WebVR. Uh, you know, it was really a controversial period for me when I was writing these articles because I got kind of emotional about it. I was looking at, you know, WebVR as being the 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 idyllic way that virtual reality as an ecosystem should kind of evolve. It's, it just seemed like the walled garden approach that was being taken as the primary, um, you know, best practice of developing these ecosystems seems so obviously to be against the, the best interests of a thriving creator driven uh, VR and AR community. So I wrote articles and I started hitting walls and I realized none of the big powers that be and the big players that really influence and move this industry give a crap. I gave up on uh, the web VR campaign, web XR at that point at campaign about around, you know, middle of 2018, 2019, I was, I was done with it. Like, it was just like, why there's 80,000 things you can do. There's 80,000 million things you can focus on. And the more you focus on, the more you get spread out, the less effective you yeah. are. The only way yeah. you can make a change is by putting a stake in a particular direction where it's so focused that it's like a knife and it pierces that particular uh, area with disruption. So, mm. um, I gave up on the, on the whole campaign around that time. Thank you very much for that um, brief. Virtually as a product enhance, can you speak a bit about that? You know, we, we began creating algorithms that could, you know, perceive or detect and measure the translation of physiological kind of data or physical data, like movement, postures, um, um, you know, shaking, tremors. We wanted to translate those kind of data points that were really, really new in terms of VR devices, being able to collect them by default, you know, your your gesticulation of your arms wagging around like we can we can capture so much data and can we translate that data into a, a new types of biometric algorithms that can understand your stress levels you know not it's not so much your emotions because you're not getting enough data like now i mean zoom forward to 2022 we have headsets who, that have integrated physiological sensors like heart rate variability and pupil dilation tracking so this is like way before we were trying to go hey Without any of those special sensors, can we know a little bit of what's happening in a, in a person's like inner perception and inner state? And uh, we had been creating some games that would evaluate our algorithms to test our own algorithms. And these games were cognitive games. We were trying to figure out, you know, different games that could give us a different measurement based on the algorithms we were creating and fine tune them that way. It was funny that as we created these games, we realized the games themselves were were hitting on a market and a use case that was even more impactful and even more practical than than the algorithms themselves. And so again, we we pivoted, uh, threw away the algorithm kind of effort and campaign, and focused purely on creating a library of cognitive games that are designed by neuroscientists. Each one of these little mini games test and train a different cognitive ability like memory and problem solving and information processing but because of the 
embodiment of virtual reality, also spatial orientation, motor control, spatial audio awareness. So we've created basically uh, throughout the last three years, a library of these 15 polished games. It's really uh, not an MVP product anymore. We are, we're commercially active and, and profitable. We're, we're, we're really now just focusing on working with clinical partners to apply our technology across a variety of cognitive domains, like you know, how do we use our tool and games for addressing dementia and Alzheimer's? How do we use it for ADHD? How do we use it for rehabilitation of traumatic brain injury? How do we use it for um, uh, chemo brain? When people use chemotherapy, they have cognitive impairment. And so our tool, really, we're trying to not just work with clinical partners. Right. Enhance is not only applied to those that are sick, at least have cognitive impairments. So let's deal first with those that have no cognitive impairment. What exactly would be the use of enhance for them? Is it, is, yeah. is it to enhance them cognitively? And if that is the way, then how are they being enhanced cognitively by using the app? So here's the thing. I think I don't believe in, generally speaking, unless you're a, a yogi on a very tall mountain, and you have some special uh, books that's not available to the rest of us. Uh, generally speaking, people do not go beyond a certain threshold of their capacity. However, they can very easily slide down away from their natural threshold of, of performance across one of these, you know, cognitive domains. So I can have worse short-term memory. I can have worse long-term memory than I could potentially train myself to reach based on my natural uh, you know, potential. Not that I'm transcending the predefined uh, maximum thresholds, you know? So it's really have to like be clear there. I, I don't believe this stuff's gonna give you spidey senses if you use it enough. I think in fact, it might do the opposite if you overuse it. Um, it's because practice effects and doing something too much, one particular thing, you can get too good at just doing it. But um, if you have a variety of these things and activities that are all trying to exercise different muscular muscles uh, in your brain like you know you go to the gym for your body you go to a weightlifting machine that does one exercise for your upper body you do another machine that's for your lower body all of these muscles they have a correlative kind of analogy to the brain and to our cognition and so we have basically provided this platform of games as a gym for the mind and so for the the healthy individuals the people who do not have illnesses but you know are are thinking about their mental health and mental performance in the same way they already think about their physical health and physical performance, then it is basically a gym for the mind that they would use to monitor their cognitive performance, see mm -hmm. that when they're sleeping badly, some cognitive functions are starting to slip, see that when they're eating poorly and drinking too much booze, mm -hmm. there are, you know, certain things are, are, mm -hmm. are being hurt in terms of their daily life activities and how they relate to them. You say a gym for the mind. The point is not to get you above the natural cognitive ability. It is to sharpen the cognitive abilities you already have and probably even help improve those that are already declining. Let's say, for example, an old person would probably need this a lot more than a younger person. You're, you're completely on point. I completely agree. I would only put in a, a third um, aspect to that uh, above the, the two you mentioned, which is we are all caricatures overdeveloped in some cognitive functions at the expense of ignoring uh, other cognitive functions. Okay. So for example, there's a certain illusion I think all of us have of, of being, you know, ourselves. We, we take for granted our natural approach to life. And that natural approach is typically bending towards the direction of our strongest cognitive functions. So some people are more visual 
uh, oriented, right? We know some people are more extroverts. We know some people are more um, uh, sensitive to sounds. Some are more cognitive and memory oriented. They do great sitting in a, in a row by row in a classroom studying. Other people can do quite horribly uh, because because uh, they just lose um, uh, lose out because it's the, the education and the curriculum isn't tailored for people who are bent the way they are. So, for example, someone has really high spatial orientation skills like my wife. I have very poor spatial orientation skills. When I exit this house right here, I'm, I'm, I'm staying in Barcelona right now. And um, I get lost very easily, even if, although I've been here two weeks. My wife laughs at this, but she doesn't understand. My cognitive function of spatial orientation is quite lower than hers. And hers is so high that she just knows where she is. She knows where the sun is. Um, whereas with, you know, um, my short-term memory skills and working memory skills, I can remember names and dates and, and certain things a lot more. So the point of this VR brain training uh, platform is to ultimately give access to people that can develop the muscles that they're already kind of ignoring. So I should be focusing not so much on what I'm strong at. I should also focus on the games that are tailored for what I'm poor at. Thank you very much. So I think that's at least provides a view into Enhance. Currently, the games that you already have on, on the Oculus Store, do you plan on expanding that? What is the next iterations to those? What is the goal for Enhance? Do you plan on releasing more medical-oriented games? Please let me know what is the goal for the future for so, Virtual Leap and Enhance. Yeah, I mean, one thing is we finished these 15 games, which means that we cover 18 different cognitive categories right now across all of them. And, um, you know, that doesn't need to be continuously added on, but we're going to keep on growing that library of games. But our focus at the moment is actually to create another module of the Enhanced platform, which is not these games, but actually a one-time assessment module. And this assessment module would be more about not doing it every day, but actually doing it every three months. It's, a, it's an assessment that gives you kind of like a real snapshot of what your cognitive health and performance is right now after a 30-minute uh, test. And then you can't do it again. You're blocked out for at least three, three months versus the cognitive games that we already created, they're for like daily use. Um, but these two can really pair nicely together because one is for monitoring and perhaps therapeutics, whereas the other one is really a diagnostic. And uh, this diagnostic module would be launching within, uh, I, I, you know, uh, knock on wood, uh, I, whenever I give a date, we, we sometimes face uh, unexpected uh, hurdles and challenges. So I'm yeah, very humble. But uh, uh, hopefully by the end of this year, we'll launch a very polished version of this test that will then go through um, uh, clinical uh, studies and feasibility studies with some of our partners in order to show that this is really an effective assessment tool. What would you say your biggest barrier has been in creating such a software solution like Enhance, for example? What is the greatest barrier, not just as a VR solution, but as a cognitive enhancement solution? Whenever you have a company that is applying an emerging technology to the healthcare system or the education system. These are two sectors, these are two industries that are the most notoriously stubborn to any change, any innovation. However much people like to talk about innovation in general, I don't think people like innovation. They like things that enhance their current uh, pleasures. You know, anything that makes their life more comfortable is what they call innovative. But when it's actually innovative in the sense of disrupting a status quo, disrupt, uh, disrupting an actual system of infrastructure, the way people are usually uh, accustomed and have lots of habits, all structured towards you know 
decreasing friction constantly and thinking less and being alive less and being consciousness. I'm being really negative here, but my point no, of view no, no. is typically yeah. people love to go in the least line of resistance and that's what they want to do. They don't want to grow in areas that are challenging. They don't want to change in areas that might be beneficial for the whole. Do you not think, at least for the medical sector, not education se educational sector, do you not think that is to increase the level of safety? I think there are, there's a friction in the medical sector in adopting anything sure. because it still has to do with health of other people. No, to some extent, you're right. You're totally right in some extent because there's so many people in that industry to begin with and each one has a different proclivity. They have a different tendency. They have a different interest in what they want to do and they're different age as well. And I yeah. think the older group, not to be ageist in my comment here, but they don't necessarily want to go against the tried and true methodologies. Um, you know, of, of course they want to get FDA regulated technologies, but they also need to participate in those FDA regulated uh, clinical trials. So it's a chicken and egg. And I would say in general, for the best interests of the you know healthcare system, a lot of times it's the human that is serving as the, the friction. It's the human that is serving as the barrier. And it's not because we're consciously doing it, it's because we're unconsciously designed to push away innovation in the same way uh, 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 a healthy body pushes away invading um, foreign uh, viruses and stuff like that. You know, a virus could be considered a disruptive uh, technology from the point of view of a uh, status quo infrastructure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I guess the biggest resistance you feel so far is the resistance in those sectors to accept innovation. There's so many yeah. dead bodies uh, of virtual reality startups that have existed and in, in similar forms in the last three or four waves since the 90s, right? We've had VR companies out there that started in the 90s, the early 2000s. They were applying our you know, type of technology for all sorts of sectors that I'm now one of those latest iterations trying to do the same thing. So, you know, there's a lot of, um, uh, uh, there's a big cemetery behind me of companies that try to uh, affect change into these sectors. And for all sorts of reasons, they didn't go forward. But one of those reasons is, you know, um, the, the medical sector itself is, is a very complicated labyrinth. Going adoption. I see, I see. I guess one other reason I can think of would be the technology has not grown so much then in the nineties and early two thousands for them to actually be able to make sensible things compared to now where you have quest 2 that captures more data than has been possible in the history of vr you, and secondly yeah i you, also wanted to ask sure you you mentioned something about capturing data and maybe the data being captured is not <clears throat> enough have you ever considered it bits and hearing that with your enhanced app in terms think, of capturing extra data yeah i think i think your your the way you approach the topic and what the comments you've made throughout this whole you know podcast it, it shows you do understand the industry very deeply um from my point of view uh you you, you 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 see what's happening you see why this latest wave is different than all the other ones right so um uh on the one hand uh i think you're right uh tech, this wave is going to be successful in a variety of ways i don't know if that means consumer success because the consumer market is still very very on flimsy ground it's i mean who's actually what are the retention numbers of anything for anything in the consumer side right 
how many people are buying um, these devices and then how many of them are using them X number of times per month in the first month? How is it going in the second month? What's it like after a year? No one gives us any details like that, which we do know for the mobile world and stuff because they are afraid to tell yeah. the truth at the moment because it's still just emerging, 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 and it's not mainstream. But when you look at the B2B side, when you look at the healthcare side, when you look at the FDA having created a category dedicated um, a couple of years ago to VR in 2020, I think it was March 2020, the FDA created a category called medical extended reality because they found the critical applications of VR for pain management and, and phobias, for example, and mental health disorders. That was like solid stuff. So the FDA created a category for it. But, uh, you know, w when people talk about VR, they talk about it as one thing and they loop in consumer and business together. I think on the confused to be on the healthcare, on the education side, it is not going anywhere. It is being adopted. There's thousands of, of studies worldwide on showing the validation of VR across all those you know areas. So VR is here to stay. It's mainstream when it comes to serious use cases. But when it comes to consumerism and escapism and entertainment, that's something that will be continuously pushed by, you know, Meta and the, all the big players with a lot of marketing cash and a lot of dollars. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I don't know if that's going to be stabilized until at least three years is being really, um, yeah, very generous. very generous. But imagine, imagine, imagine this, all the money that's being spent and it's not mainstream. That means they're only losing money for at least three more years, probably. Okay, fine. Uh, 10 years probably might be the yeah. real correct thing seven years might be the earliest yeah. so we're, we're probably dealing with a 10-year minimum time frame time frame and that uh, really requires other technologies yeah. to become possible right first and it also requires um, these big companies pumping enough money into r d to crash the consumer hardware <laughs> price as much as possible because even here in africa it's very hard you just talked about consume how hard it is consumer wise globally sure. talk less of africa as a set as a continent itself it's very rare to see people that actually own a vr headset sure. which is why i took web xr very serious because almost everybody has a web browser and at least you can right. deliver their experience on the way but something like yours would not I, I i don't see web working that much because they need to concentrate on what they are doing and enough data needs to be collected and the web will not be able to i don't think the web will be able to deliver i think you 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 know the the vcs out there should be talking to you um you definitely have your your feet on the ground you're you're you understand the market you understand why i mean you're talking about africa and you're talking about certain sectors and areas where maybe it's inaccessible even at the current price frame where you know meta is losing money on every yeah. headset it sells to make it 300 bucks right but even yeah. at that dollar frame, I think yeah. in the next five years, then everyone can sell at 300 at minimum. And then Meta and some companies can start selling it at a hundred bucks. And then you got, you're, you're talking, right? It's getting a little bit more accessible. Hopefully the economies in some of these countries are also in the next 10 years uh, grows in certain ways. Um, enabled, maybe they can, they can create subsidized um, uh, models as well, you know? But you're right, WebXR yeah. and WebVR is ultimately the way that you make it mass available across mass creators, including DIY creators, where they give you the all, you know how to put the right components together to make your own headset um, at, at, without a brand price trigger on it, right? Thank you very much for the wealth of knowledge around virtually panayams. Talking about consciousness, 
So my first question would be, I find it hard to, to wrap my head around how exactly immersive technology affects the human consciousness, our collective consciousness or the individual consciousness, because this has not been something that has been available to us in history. When I say us, I mean humans throughout history until it started becoming a thing, right? So now we are always in the virtual world or we hope to be in 10, 20 years, would always be in the virtual world, always have an augmentation around our view. <laughs> so how do you think, do you think um, XR affects the human consciousness? Positive or negative? I'm um, I'm very careful with this this kind of balance between technology and, and natural human functionality. You know, uh, I think what's healthy for humans is to be outside. I think we're uh, part of nature. I think there's a lot of studies out there on how uh, being around trees affects us naturally in ways that we're typically uh, unconscious of uh, when we eat. You know, food. Uh, depending on what we eat, uh, the level of serotonin rises at a certain level versus if we eat junk food, yeah, you can be falling into states of depression because you're not eating correctly according to how your inherent uh, digestive system would you know, prefer to live an optimal energetic uh, lifestyle. So I think um, we are intrinsically nat nat nature-based humans that should be outside and the less we're in virtual worlds the better i think augmented reality can serve as a sidekick for helping us live in the real world a little bit cooler you know uh you you uh fall out of a plane and you have an ar kit that teaches you how to how to make fire uh you know a digital twin suddenly appears next to you and tells you how to spear fish you know there's just some cool ways that ar uh, from that point of view serves as an enhancer of your real world with a you know, digital twin uh, sort of uh, magical fairy on the side, right? But when it comes to VR, the reason I like it so much is that it can be uh, used as an intense but short-term experience for uh, learning something with, with a kind of a meditative focus, uh, so to speak, when you can shut out the whole world and go into your Plato's cave and learn or do something that can treat yourself in a way that you can enhance yourself, but it's very short-term, short-form. I don't like the idea of a metaverse, so to speak, um, from the point of view of, I think the general population um, will misuse it and, and um, they start to think that we can adapt to anything. I don't think humans are designed for space, for example. I think we, we have studies of what happens for uh, the human system uh, when there's no gravity. You know, uh, we're designed where our body um, physically is supposed to be on, on, on the ground and our skeletal structures, I think over time are gonna are gonna pay some consequences. I'm not saying those things aren't in our future, but I think they're very naive to think that uh, the world uh, is gonna be a better place when when we're in the metaverse or where we're in space. I think uh, that's the, the most naive thing I, I've discovered so far, um, but they can be used as enhancers and that's what I'm interested in. Well, I would not say a lot of people think the world would be better. Well, some people do think the world would be better. And it is because XR has that potential to increase our domain of impact. So, for example, you said um, there is a certain um, there is a certain effects that true studies that was observed when people are around trees, for example. I also read something where a farmer um, a farmer put an XR an XR headset, a VR headset, on every cattle that he had, and noticed that there was an increase in milk production. 
right? I think around 30% increase in it. Why? Because it yeah. simulated a virtual environment. Yeah. Right? And those cartoons were deceived to think that. So, yeah, to me, to me, to me, it doesn't matter if it's real or if it's virtual, if it provides the same effect within. So, be careful with saying same, you know, uh, same similar. and, and similar. similar in the direction similar. of it. So, you can say, you know, going out and actually be on the pastures of the grass with the smell and the pheromones and everything that's connected. I would like to see a comparison between the natural environment in which those cows have been evolutionary adapted to versus tricking the visual sense of a cow so that it does under it does trick the rest of the system to kind of reach some mediocre uh, level um, towards that ideal natural situation versus being in a trapped cage. I mean, I think um, I think what you're saying is true, but it's a it's a half truth. Uh, you know, it's it's why VR is so amazing for healthcare. It's when you're in a, a VR situation, like the applied VR experience for pain management, when you trick the visual sense, it makes all of the secondary senses also get tricked. And what happens is that the pain receptors in the brain um, they dampen significantly because the visual sense is is showing an alternate reality and we're not designed to live in two realities we can only live in one so the visual sense tricked it makes the other senses go in but i mean you're discounting to go in the direction that you're saying you would want then for cow technology to include um, alternative pheromone and scent technologies to pair with that visual sense you want to create the whole thing of the matrix so you're basically trying to create well, a matrix well, for the cows, about right? creating the, So cows are known for, as one of the causes for deforestation, like letting them roam, right? There is that negative impact on the environment. Now, I'm humane. I'm not saying, I'm not saying we should not let them roam if that's possible. But imagine a place where there is so much deforestation already, meat still needs to be provided. How do you increase production? Would this not be an awesome application? I, I, I totally, you know, what we're talking right now is devil's advocate, right? You're you're bringing up excellent yeah. points and I'm only uh, creating friction because I think that's where the debate needs to be, right? Um, yeah. uh, if you were talking the way I'm talking, I would be probably bringing up some of the points you're saying. Um, although in my current yeah. mood right now, I find it disgusting, uh, some of the directions yeah. it goes in. It, it's, you're so right, overpopulation creates these special challenges and we can use these technologies to overcome some of the environmental consequences. Like when you're talking about cows and free roaming, we're talking about huge, uh, you know, um, increases of, of methane and so on, CO2, yeah, and yeah, global exactly. warming. I mean, what you're saying is very true, but you know, it's, I'm talking from the point of view of, of, of the individual benefit and, and not from a macro situation. And from the macro situation, some of these decisions can be quite rational, but, Again, I don't want to live in that world that we're talking about anymore. You know, I, I'll be glad to die in the next 50 years before we have to do these things. Um, the, the metaverse, from the point of view of what you're saying, like if someone is bedridden, um, they're in a hospital and they can't go to nature, but you can put on a VR simulation that uh, does the same thing that you just said about the cows and for relaxation, for meditation, all those things, you're right. But we're talking about using VR to bring people back to normality or without them being able to access it themselves or democratizing access to the best education or medical VR simulations because they don't have access to it. So whenever someone doesn't have access, using these technologies to, to bring them closer to action, access is great. 
Um, I always just bring it back to the point of view that I'm happy to die in this generation because some of these applications are going to be very dystopian. Yeah, I, I think the important feature about humanity is we learn as we go. So cars started somewhere. There was so much, so many accidents. There had to be iterations and iterations and iterations. The thing is, I'm kind of that person that's I, I don't block out the possibility of that negative impact. I think if we don't block it out and we address it, we might be able to reduce that impact, that negative impact. Sure, there, there's always going to be an ecosystem of players who are counterbalancing each other. So the, all the deep fake technology is going to have people who are trying to create more privacy, security technology that are you know in the hands of individuals. And same thing with VR, everything's going to refine. I just don't say that having better toilets means that we are actually progressing as a culture. I don't see in the world right now that the current generations are doing better because of TikTok. I think we are having no, an epidemic no, 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 of, so of ADHD. I don't think ADHD has ever been worse than now. So the, and I'm talking about the cognitive ability to pay attention. It's like the core most important thing that we could develop. And it's actually, I think, overall declining rapidly. Yeah, so yeah, so yeah. from the point of view of human beings improving stuff, I don't at all believe in that. I do think we are refining things from the point of view of, uh, you know, Disney, what is that, WALL-E, where, you know, you got the, the obese humans who have lost their skeletal structure because they're just being like, uh, there's a certain aspect of that. And I'm, I'm only bringing it up because of devil's advocate, but, you know, yeah you said progress and you say humans refine things and there's a positivity and idealism in there that i just don't share because it does exist with some humans but in general i think we're not going down the path i, I think you're, you'd be hard pressed to create a, a paper statistically using real facts that shows that we have progressed uh you know we progress with you know hygiene we progress with food production we progress with medical technologies but morally speaking i don't think we progressed more than five thousand years ago um, you know, th th there was always uh, different types of psychographic uh, profiles and I don't think that we're in a better position right now. So let's jump to a, a few questions on the metaverse. So what are your thoughts on the, the hype that started when Facebook changed their name to Meta? There was that hype, there was that frenzy that started. What are your thoughts on that? It's like you've designed this podcast to go from all positive points of view from me to <laughs> the more and more negative. I'm so sorry for that. I really enjoy talking to you and, and these are such important topics, you know? Um, I just happen to have extreme views when it comes to some of them. Um, uh, and, and we've gotten to the point of, of hysteria now, you know, it's just like, um, anybody who's in the VR scene from the nineties, I mean, talking about the metaverse right now is like a slap in the face of these people. It's like, what are you talking about? I mean, they, I think, first of all, we need to start figuring out what definition of the metaverse we're even talking about. Are we talking about ready player one? Are we talking about the web VR sort of web XR? interoperable across all devices um you know a, a dual reality that can be entered in ar and are we VR. not going that out now by creating so there are different people creating this and creating that and like you said when people create stuff stuff die out stuff die out and iterations come about i know that we've not settled on what exactly is the metaverse but people are creating different stuff do you not think maybe down the line in 20 years we'll still settle on that but that hype still exists well, we need to have doorways, first of all. You know, we have to have a, 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 an open kind of framework in which all creators can create, um, you know, doorways and windows between their content and other content. So they need to be able to, yeah. you know, you need, you need backpacks that keep your identity between one content to another content. 
So like we don't have any of those things. And that's like the framework of what a metaverse is. So when people talk about metaverse, it's like we're not even talking about a thing that exists yet. We're talking about uh, content. And, you know, there's someone, someone, you know, you can always tell the difference between people who are trying to make quick bucks and people who um, just want to sleep well at night. You know, they immediately when the word metaverse started getting big, uh, everyone started calling, I'm the metaverse for healthcare. I'm the metaverse of education. I'm the metaverse. All he's got is one piece of content, but they're calling themselves the metaverse. Uh, that's great. Their vision is to be the meta. What the, you know, you can see my blood pressure rising right now. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah, like, okay, can we just chill out for a second? Yes, the metaverse is this like, you know, very big concept and let's move towards it. However, there is no metaverse right now. There's uh, there's walled gardens here and there and some bigger walled gardens and there's some smaller walled gardens. Um, so do you think the way we can get faster to what a metaverse actually is, is through unification of all these separate platforms. They need to unify and get their stories straight. They need, they need, uh, they, they need the, yeah, they need shared best practices of how do they interconnect each other. And there has to be an acceptance of, of a mass number of creators that, that decide to take their disparate and, uh, you know, various types of content created with different frameworks, different styles, but they're interconnected with the same kind of connections or bridges. And then I'll say, okay, there's a mini metaverse, you know? Okay, we got a mini metaverse, you know? Um, it's Janice VR, if you know them from the web VR scene uh, back in, you know, 2013, 2014. They, I'm not even sure if they're around still, but Janice VR was a really good example of a mini metaverse being built, uh, a kind of, they're still creating their own engine for it. You would need something that has all the different engines can be interconnected as well, you know? So, you know, uh, the more you have connections and bridges between different creators with different philosophies and all accepting one another, and they're not having to be forced to use the same payment uh, channels and stuff, all that decision-making is themselves. It's just, you know, I, it's I, a, I think that would be harder to achieve because they are also, not all, but most are so profit-oriented and trying to carve out a market that they should not be carving out. So there's Facebook trying to create its own metaverse ecosystem and this other person trying to, I think it's just, at least from my own point of view, one of the core drivers of that would be, they are so profit oriented, forgetting the gold, if there's any gold. <laughs> you know, I, I just, the more people are in a group, I usually think the, the, the less smart that entity is. You know, the bigger an organization is, the, 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 the more the human spirit becomes diminutive. Uh, it's no longer uh, as, as conscious of itself and changing itself and wanting to change itself. The more laws that, 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 org that the entity is under to keep it kind of less and less conscious, or, the bigger it gets. So the smaller the group, obviously based on that logic, the smaller the group, the smarter that group can be, especially in that group recognizing that it's not doing something in a good direction anymore and it needs to change its habits and change itself in a different direction authentically, not to appease stakeholders and shareholders uh, and markets, uh, you know? Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I agree 100% with that, 100%, right? But still, I still need to the devil advocate to that yes, yes which is the bigger you are you can get things done just like yeah, facebook sure. is getting things done currently <laughs> yeah they, you I, were small, meta, facebook were small, they, you're right yeah. you're right you're right but that's not a that's not you know we, we you're totally right meta if it wasn't for meta this we wouldn't even be having this conversation right um having a voice like mine or yours is a, is a luxury 
in the context of them having created the market or not created the market, but, you know, kept the market from dying again. Yeah. If it was, there, there was no, if there was no meta or if they decided two years ago to have shut down their experiment in this direction, we would not be having this conversation, right? Um, yeah. Maybe some yeah. later period, something from China would come out, you know, with ByteDance and stuff, but yeah, maybe yeah. ByteDance wouldn't have done that if it wasn't for meta, you know? So, um, it's a luxury. They make the decisions. They make the, the market. They decide that they want to now charge 50% uh, to create on creators. And we have to do that. Um, you know, they decide those things, but you know, there's an Orwellian side to all of this that we have to, um, you know, keep, keep in mind the whole way through respect. We, we, have, to acknowledge that. we yeah. have to acknowledge that so that we, we, we walk towards, towards not what it's so hard, not seeing our trajectory ending up that way. At least with our current trajectory, I think we might end up in an Orwellian um, society. I hope not. But with this trajectory, we need a lot. So what, what are, what's your thoughts around the ethical responsibilities XR and Metaverse companies should have towards their users? For example, if you do have a product enhance, so what sort of ethical responsibilities did you have to carry out to make everything make sense? Well, you know, you have to give layers and layers of, of consent up front. You have to be um, giving layers and layers of, of transparency up front. You know, you have to have when you're collecting data in a certain way, you have to you have to disclose how you're collecting it, what you're collecting. And three, the option that once a person does um, consent to that data being collected and captured, they have to give the option for them to be able to delete that data and create, you know, the, the, make a request that you will satisfy and eliminate all their data uh, from your server. So, you know, you have to give consent, you have to give transparency, and you have to give an option for being able to delete or modify what has been disclosed. So, you know, all those layers are something we take seriously. We offer as a company that collects so much data, particularly from the wellness and healthcare. When it comes to virtual reality experiences, I don't really have an interest in wait, uh, spending an hour of my time in a digital world. I want to maximize my time in the real world. So that's my particular area. But let's say that I have, a, cool. uh, let's, let's say have, let's say have a, I have a particular need, like learning a language. Um, and I'm not in that country. Now I can go into the metaverse. Uh, okay. I'm not going to use that word. I'm going to open a <laughs> VR application that offers, um, um, immersive experience of being in Barcelona, but I'm in Vancouver, but I'm in a Barcelona or Spanish realm of being immersed in Spanish speakers, like where I can physically feel embodied in that experience. So then that's a purpose oriented use of something that exists um, in a virtual reality environment that I find useful to enhancing something that I want in my real world to enhance. So your current use is purpose oriented and not social oriented. Uh, not yet. I, I think when I look at those social worlds right now, they seem quite gimmicky. Um, yeah. yeah, you're right. You're right. You know, right. I don't, I don't, I don't really see a lot. Most people that I know in the real world don't use VR, you know, um, most people I know in the real world, you know, I'm not, I'm not rubbing shoulders constantly with people who are VR creators and even the VR creators I know, they're not using VR all the time because you know, they're used creating with VR all the time. So those are the people I know they're using it in a very dosed way. Um, that is usually productive in, in, in its value. I know there's lots of people out there who are using it for all the games and entertainment. I just don't, I'm not one of them and I don't really know any of them personally. However, once things evolve, let's say in five years from now, and there are, 
you know, um, conferences in VR that are less gimmicky in terms of, um, um, you know, your avatar, oh, you know, yeah. being showing the facial tracking and showing the movement and the eye track that, you know, once it gets a little bit closer to, well, a lot closer to the capacity of being able to meet a person in real world, then I'm, I'm going to be using it much more. It's just currently, um, the real world uh, is, is, a uh, far more advanced place. One last question. What are some hopeful futures you see? We've had a lot of not so hopeful views, but let's say you thought about it critically now. Mm. What is that hopeful future you see both for the metaverse and XR in the next 50 years, 25 years? What is that hopeful thing you hold on to that? Even with all the bad things that could happen or these things around metaverse and XR. We can be walking around in the next 20, 30 years in a very clean and spotless environment um, with a couple of you know digital lenses on our eyes that colors it in the way we want it to be colored. We can personalize our worlds. We can we can we can um, be able to create maximum accessibility if we're we're if we prefer certain things but not other things. We can tone it down, bring it up. Everything can be maximum um, comfort for people uh, based on their preferences. Um, you know, a lot of conflicts would disappear, I think, in terms of interpersonal kind of relationships in certain contexts, you know, democratizing access to the most amazing content in terms of educational content for kids, for the youth, I think is one of the most important things of all is, well, how can we disrupt the education system where with the help of AI, we can be able to maximize the understanding and access to the most high-tech knowledge to anybody, regardless of their wallet size. In whatever geography or, or background they come from, they have access to the bleeding edge of everything. I think that's the beauty of, of what I find. You know, in our youth right now, especially in places like North America and Europe and Asia, everywhere, I think we just don't have a level playing field in terms of access to the best education and the best healthcare. So it shouldn't be financially oriented and that's what we're we are right now i think we're going to we're going to move away from that in the next uh, 30 50 years thank you very much for creating time for to come on the podcast thank you it was so much nice very nice speaking with you really appreciated the conversation and 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 uh and tolerating my my wacky views have take care nice have a great day That was the end of this episode of XR Atlas podcast, where we talked about improving the brain and mind with the use of immersive technologies. I spoke to Amir, a co-founder at Virtual Leap, and we talked a bit about their product Enhance and how that is being used to improve the human cognitive ability. Stay tuned for more interesting topics around XR and Metaverse. Have an awesome day ahead. Once again, my name is Fatai Babatunde. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and send to family and friends. Have an awesome day ahead. Thank you.